You're having a conversation with a friend or an acquaintance. An opportunity presents itself to invite him to your church. Then he replies, oh, I know quite a few of the folks who go to your church, and there's no small number of them that are hypocrites. So, now what do you say? There is hypocrisy in every human institution. But should there be hypocrites in the church? Let's talk about hypocrisy among God's people. Is it inevitable? Should we be doing something about it? That's our topic on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathard with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. So Aaron, how prevalent or how troublesome is the problem of hypocrisy in the church? It's probably the number one personal reason that people, that people who, that those of you who aren't believers in Jesus have about not becoming a Christian. It's probably the number one reason that those people give is uh, because they know Christians and uh, Christians, the, the way they want to portray themselves is not the way they actually live their lives. Christians are hypocrites. Uh, both in churches, like churches are hypocritical and individual Christians are hypocritical. I, I would say it's a major problem. Christians are hypocrites. Is that what you just said? Yeah, people look at Christians and they see that the that the uh, that the moral standards they uh, espouse uh, aren't lived up to by those same people. Sounded like a sweeping generalization. It sounded like you didn't leave any Christians out of that indictment. Uh, yeah. Well, I, so um, I'm speaking as an, uh, someone who's an unbeliever. That's that, that's what they see when they see. Uh, people who say we we stand for love or we stand for justice, and um, when human beings don't live their lives that way, because you know, quite frankly, none of us can live up to our own standards. Um, that's uh, th- that's that's the perception is is that, uh, and, and you know, I'm, I don't want to be too uh, too sweeping, of course, but because some people are better at this than others, some people are more true to their own commitments and their own. Um, uh, the good things about their ideologies and other people, but but in general, it's um, it's an accusation that can be pr- pretty much thrown at anybody, and that that includes, unfortunately, it includes the Christian Church. It seems to me that there is quite the divide here in terms of perception. The unbeliever, I'm guessing, probably thinks of Christianity as some kind of a law religion. Here are the things you're supposed to do. Here are the things you're supposed to be if you're going to call yourself a Christian. And so when they see people not living up to that, they think that's hypocritical. On the believer's side of the question, the believer is probably going to say, well, of course, I'm a a hypocrite if you're going to use that standard. I'm a sinner. That's why I am a Christian. The distance between those two perspectives, I think, is is pretty great. So how do we bring them together so that both people can understand what we're talking about? Yeah, so un- unfortunately, many Christians, uh, th- I'm going to blame this on Christians. Uh, many Christians uh, will say, so an unbeliever will look at the life of a Christian and say, well, you, you know, you guys, you're all about, you know, goodness and righteousness and love and morality. But, but, yeah, morality. But you personally don't live like that. And if I say to that person, if I say to that uh, that friend, 
Well, yeah, that's because, you know, your misunderstanding. Really, this is um, not about me being a good person. It's about me being uh, forgiven. They're going to say, well, it's kind of a cop-out. Like, so basically you get to do whatever you want, and then you could just say, well, yeah, this isn't really about me being a good person. I just, I, I get forgiveness. And so we Christians, we frequently feed into this by, by you know, appealing to grace as an excuse for poor behavior. <laughs> and that smells like hypocrisy to a lot of people. And I think that probably, uh, I'm not even sure what, where we're going to go with the rest of this conversation. Maybe this is something we can talk about later, but... Probably one of the things that people like myself who are Christians, what we need to do is to, um, well, there's a, a couple of things, but one of the things we need to do is to uh, do the best that we can with the power of the Holy Spirit to live up to our own standards and to not use grace as an excuse when we don't. Now, I, I, I firmly believe that all of us are completely broken and all of us are hypocrites. Every human being is no human being can live up to his or her own standard all the time. And when we fail, the solution for Christians is not, um, you know, lower the standard or just try harder next time. The solution is, is that we have been forgiven by an infinitely loving God who has paid an infinitely high price to pay for those things. However, that's not the end of the story. That's, you know, grace isn't just forgiveness. Grace is also the power to actually begin more and more all the time living up to our standards. So in the opening remarks that I made, I talked about a person who rejects an invitation to come to church by saying, well, I, I, I know people in your church. It's the, full of hypocrites. Yeah. And I asked the question, what do you say of our listener? Now I'm asking you that question. Have you ever found yourself in a similar situation? Or if you haven't, how would you handle that when somebody generally rejects your church because it's full of hypocrites? So have I have I found have I talked to somebody who says that Christians are hypocrites? Is that your question? I'm my question is if they play the card. No, I I really don't want to come to your church because I know people in your church and and there are some disreputable people in your church. Why yeah. would I, how would you respond yeah. to that? Oh, so the first thing I would do in, in the first, what I've done is I, I try to gauge what is this comment? Is the comment one like, is, is, is the question or the comment that, you know, hey, I, I, I'm not into church, you guys are hypocrites. Is it sort of challenging? Is it like, uh, is it, you know, you're, you're a punk, you're a fake, I'm not messing around with people like you. Is it that, or is it like um, more of like a questioning? Is it um, is the question more just like a searching for? I really want reality. I'm not sure, just from what I know of Christians, that they really have contact with reality. They, they, I, I don't think that they live up to their own standards, and that's kind of a turnoff for me. If it's more of the first kind, more challenging, my move will almost always be just repentance. You're right. I myself am a hypocrite. I've blown it. And you've probably seen me do something that is totally against what I claim to believe. And I, I'm so sorry. And I need to be forgiven by you and whoever else I, I, I've wronged in that. That would be my first, uh, my, my first move with somebody like that would be just uh, 
to, to try to be as transparent as possible about the fact that I am a broken person and that there are things that I believe that I don't live up to. There are things that I claim are important to me that my own words and actions undermine. The, the other person that's searching and saying, I'm looking for you know, I'm re- real reality and I want genuineness and I'm not sure if the Christian church is a place for that, I would point that person to, I would try to give examples of how nobody actually can, I would, I would also be repentant of my own sinful hypocritical behavior, but I would also try to give examples of how there's no human being around who claims to stand for something or claims to have a purpose for living who actually lives up to those things all the time. That just doesn't exist. And if you're looking for a group where hypocrisy doesn't exist and complete absolute genuineness is the universal rule, that there's really no place to find that in human beings. So now that we have said, rightly I believe, that all Christians are hypocrites, really all people are hypocrites, do you think that there are some congregations where the problem of hypocrisy is kind of low on the list? It's not something that the congregation is dealing with as a priority. We've got to do something about this. While there are other congregations where the problem of hypocrisy might be tearing the congregation apart. Yeah. If there are congregations where hypocrisy is low on the list of their concerns, it's because it's actually high on their list of concerns. The congregations that are genuine and transparent about their own brokenness and their need for help from Jesus, from community, and and, and thus their hypocritical levels, I don't know if this is like a standard that, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, their hypocritical level is a 1.5. It's because they're constantly focusing on the need to not be hypocritical, the need to be transparent and genuine. The congregations that don't make it a priority are the congregations that struggle with it because we all, all of us, you know, so the thing about hypocrisy is that sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes we put on a mask intentionally. Sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes you believe something and then without realizing it, you act in ways that contradict it. And it's not really intentional, but it's there. And, And for all of us, we need to constantly be reminded that, hey, you... Uh, whoever it is, like, uh, you, you know, you, you hear stories about professional athletes who get in trouble for doing things, you know, out in a bar or online, things that like normal people can get away with. And usually the response from their uh, team, if they're, you know, play a team sport is, you know, wait a minute, you represent the Yankees. You represent the Chicago Bulls. That's, a, that's, that, that's something. And so, you, you know, to be reminded constantly wherever it is, you know, you represent your job when you walk down the street and your employer expects, you know, there's a certain sense in which, you're, you know, our employers can't ask us to be something away from work that they don't have control over. But there's another sense in which, you know, if, if you know, if you're working for the local accounting firm and uh, you get arrested for uh, drunk driving, you're going to get in trouble at work too. You're going to get spoken to at work because, uh, you reflect on that business. And to constantly be in, in the Christian church, to constantly be reminded that we represent something bigger. We, we claim at least to represent something bigger than the New York Yankees or the local accounting firm. You know, we represent a, a holy, righteous God who always does the right thing. And when we don't, we need to be called on it and we need to be encouraged to, you, you got to be better. 
whatever it is, you know, you, you need the Holy Spirit, you need forgiveness, you need to be in God's word more. We need to not be acting like something that doesn't reflect who God is. Paul gives an account in Galatians 2 where he calls out Peter for hypocrisy. I'm going to pick that reading up at verse 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul says, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. If Peter, the apostle Peter, can be guilty of hypocrisy, what chance do the rest of us have to stay clear of this sin? Yeah, well, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the points, right, is that no chance at all. Like, uh, we're not going to stay clear of this sin. That's why it has to constantly be, for all of us, but, but specifically right now, let me talk to the, those of you who are listening who are Christians. Specifically for us, we have to constantly be aware that we aren't going to live up to it, that we are going to act in ways that undermine our own belief system. We're going to act in ways, more importantly, that undermine not our own, just our own belief system, but undermine who we say the loving, holy creator God is in Jesus Christ. And yeah, you can't avoid it. If one of the, 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 uh, the fathers of the ancient church, if, if one of the people who walked closely with Jesus is guilty of this sin, we're going to be guilty of this sin too. You know, Peter's sin here uh, that you're reading about in Galatians is, um, you know, the gospel says that if Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, then that means Jesus is the most, Jesus is the most fundamental identifier of humanity, not race not race. And Peter believed that. Peter believed that because Jesus was Lord of the universe, not just Lord of the Jews, but Lord of all humans, that Jews and Gentiles were free to have table fellowship. I guess it's kind of a weird thing in our world, you know, sitting down at a table with somebody is not necessarily an ideological statement in our culture, but for, for their culture it was. And Peter believed that, and he freely ate, ate with um, non-Jewish brothers and sisters. But when Jewish friends came into town, he felt wonky about eating with people who weren't Jews, and so he started to eat with just Jews. And Paul calls him on it because Peter believes the gospel. Peter probably is standing up in church on Sundays and talking about the love of Jesus Christ for all people. And then at the meal, uh, you know, Tuesday afternoon, they get together for lunch. Then he's, he doesn't want to sit and eat with Gentiles. And so Paul calls him on it and says, hey, look, this is a gospel issue. You are undermining your own most basic belief in who Jesus is by refusing to eat with people who aren't the same race as you. And that's got to be called out, right? And so Peter has to change. And th that's the kind of thing, too, that it's just a, such a simple thing, like, who do I eat with? And like I say, I know that it's, in, in our culture, that's not really a big question. But something small like that does reflect our beliefs. It, it quite possibly can reflect our, our, our beliefs. Um, you know, where we go, how we talk to people, these sorts of things are very simple. The, the, uh, uh, I'm just making up an example now. But, but honestly, the, the, the way that you treat um, staff at restaurants that you sit down and eat in, you know, I, I know Christians who, uh, you know, they claim on Sunday mornings to believe that because Jesus died for the sins of the world and rose from the dead, 
that God, um, uh, that, that, that socioeconomic differences are, are no longer valid. Paul teaches this in Galatians 3. There's no slave or free in Jesus Christ, he says. And they believe that. And then they go out to lunch on a Tuesday afternoon again, and it's not like their, their issue isn't Peter's, but they, they treat uh, the wait staff like they're their slaves. And I've eaten with people who've... Uh, I ate dinner with a guy one time, a Christian brother, actually on the leadership team of a church I was at, who said to the server, this is a microwave baked potato, and I know what real baked potatoes taste like, and I want you to take this back and don't bring me out another potato like that. Now, okay, so I, I'm not sure how he should have handled that. Like, I, Maybe you should just eat the potato and be thankful for what you get. But, but if you're that concerned, if you have some sort of issue, there's a better way to talk about that, to, to talk to a person like that, because that person actually isn't your slave. Just because you paid that restaurant money for food, that person's not your slave. So I'm just kind of rambling on here with an example of hypocrisy. And it's such a small thing. The guy doesn't want a microwave baked potato. I understand. But that server will say, maybe they don't know the ins and outs of Paul's theology of baptism and salvation in Galatians 3. Maybe they have never contemplated the fact that if Jesus is Lord of the universe, there is no slave or free. Maybe they've they've never even thought about that. But they do know, oh, this guy prayed before he ate, and now he's treating me like that. Christians are hypocrites. And we have to constantly be on our guards because we're all so guilty of that all the time. Just like Peter, we're all so guilty of that all the time. Let's talk for a moment about confrontation. When I read this text and tried to visualize what this might have looked like, I opposed him to his face. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that meant publicly, as if Paul called out Peter in front of other people. But I guess it doesn't really say that. That's the feel I get. Yeah. Either way, it's a confrontation. Right. And you know how we don't like confrontation. Sure. Put on Paul's shoes here. Could you have done this? Could I personally have done this? Could you have called out the apostle to the Jews in front of Jews and Gentiles, a public reprimand? Do you do public uh, reprimands? Do I do public reprimands? Uh, I, I find myself usually on the other end of the reprimand. That's where I'm usually at. I'm not usually on the front end of like telling people to shape up. I'm usually needing it. Um, there are certain things that all of us need to say to other people sometimes, and um, we're maybe drifting a little bit far afield from the topic here. But but if if hypocrisy is going to need to be talked about with each other, um, like if I, if I'm going to need to say something to somebody about uh, their hypocrisy, I'm going to have to be deeply invested in a relationship with that person. I, I can't cold, I can't stand up and tell people, hey, shape up right now. If I have not bought into their lives in love, I mean, this, again, I'm, maybe we're drifting a little bit far afield here. Your question is about confrontation more than hypocrisy. Um, but so, so talking to people about stuff that, uh, and this happens. I had conversation with the guy at lunch this past week, and I had to say, hey, listen, this is something I think we need to work on. You and I need to work on this. But that conversation has to happen at lunch. It has to happen over, it has to happen over an extended period of uh, 
interaction with this person so that he trusts me enough to hear me. Like if I cold call a stranger and say, listen, your behavior is reprehensible and needs to change immediately, they're automatically going to push back. They have no indication. They've never received any indication from me that I'm actually interested in them as a human being. And so if somebody if somebody needs to be called on the carpet for hypocrisy, it has to come from somebody who loves them. It has to come from so Paul and Peter have had a long time relationship. And I'm sure that that's a big part of why this this uh, um, conversation that that he has with him works here is because Peter knows Paul and Paul knows Peter. And Peter knows that Paul is not pulling a power play by calling him on the carpet for hypocrisy, that Paul is actually genuinely invested in Peter's relationship with Jesus and Peter's relationship with these brothers and sisters uh, who all of a sudden find that Peter doesn't want to hang out with them. And so um, it has to happen. That, that sort of thing has to happen in a relationship of love and trust and commitment. More, you know, The truth is good. The truth is the most important thing in the world. But we're told in Scripture that the, that the truth has to be spoken in love. And what it means is that you can't ever speak the truth in a way that actually works outside of relationship. It doesn't work outside of relationship. So I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. I might be wrong. But I suspect that a hypocrite typically doesn't even know that he's a hypocrite. If you confront him the way Paul confronted Peter— he may be shocked by the accusation. Right, yeah, yeah. The last person to know that there's a hypocrisy. What do you do then? Well, so so just talking about it. I think you just have to talk about it in love. You just have to talk about it. It's like that's totally right. I had mentioned earlier that you know roughly two kinds of hypocrites that we are. One is when we're intentionally acting in a way. You know, we're ten, we're, we're intentionally acting falsely. We put on a mask. Um, the other way is usually our hypocrisy just sort of sneaks up on us. We have these sort of ingrained behaviors that we do. Um, I, I, I always I think about uh, I think about the, the the Christian Church in America uh, before the Civil War in the South and even after the Civil War and, and attitudes about African Americans, uh, 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 defenses of slavery. Like, how is that possible? If you read Paul's letter to Philemon, how is that even possible? If you read, to go back to Galatians 3, if you read there's no slave or free in Jesus Christ, how is it even possible that this can happen? And yet, it did for a long time. And it wasn't just a simple, somebody points out, hey, wait a minute, I think that your theology of the universal uh, atonement of Jesus Christ and how uh, all people have been made one in him, uh, rich or poor, male or female, slave or free, I think that that doesn't actually reflect your own behavior in owning and buying and selling slaves. It, it wasn't just one conversation. It actually uh, took a lot of conversations and a war to actually sort sort of get this into into Christians' minds in the South that this is not. And even then, it's still a struggle for a lot of Christians. And so that hypocrisy uh, always has to be challenged, and and it always has to be done in love too. It can't be done on social media. It can't be done by like, you know, uh, throwing truth bombs at people across an ideological divide and hoping they land and explode and people get their minds changed. It has to be done in, in love and in relationships. So yeah, but the, especially because we're unaware of it, you're totally right. Especially because we're unaware of our hypocrisy, we need people in our lives who will speak truth to us in love and say, "Hey, check your behavior right here." That's a skill that too that's learned and lived in and practiced is the skill of. 
loving confrontation and loving repentance, mutual loving confrontation and repentance. Typically, after worship services here at St. James, people get together, they talk, they chat, everybody does this at church, Uh, and it's something that you always encourage people to do. So if I'm not feeling all that well, maybe I'm not sick, but emotionally, maybe I just don't want to do that. But here comes somebody, and and how are you, Chuck? Good morning. How are you? I really don't want to do this, but um, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? And you know what? On this morning, I really don't care how you are. But I say, how are you? Right, yeah. And then we have this superficial conversation, blah, blah, blah. It's hypocritical. Is it sinful? Have I sinned in that moment? It seems to me to be more of a mechanism than it is a deliberate deceit. Yeah. Have I sinned? Well, so, yeah, let's talk about the word hypocritical and, and how it relates to that real quick. I mean, hypocritical, I know what you're saying. You, you feel a certain way, but you want to do a certain other thing. And that particular example super hits home with me. I, I'm so flush up against the introvert side on the Myers-Briggs scale. It's not even funny. It's like I'm, I'm putting pressure on that side of the wall. The building's about to topple down. I'm so introverted. So I totally get that. You know that that's hard for me to believe. You know that, don't oh, you? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You seem... Uh, at least in in public settings, which is pretty much where I see you, whether it's meetings yeah. or whether it's yeah. church or whether it's Bible class, you seem to be very comfortable in a in a situation dealing with lots of folks. Well, yeah, I, w- I won't say I, I won't say I'm uncomfortable. I would prefer to be by myself. I almost always would prefer to be by myself. I was having a conversation with one of my daughters um, this past week, and I was talking about she was talking about you know, what we're talking about now, being around people. And I said to her, I said to Kate, uh, you you will find me, like, you know that, like, if there's a get-together at church, some sort of social gathering or some sort, some, some sort of event where a bunch of people are there, nine times out of ten, unless I'm forcing myself not to, I will find myself almost magnetically drawn to my office where I will end up with the door just partially open and probably in there reading <laughs> Because I just, there's something about like talking, 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 which drains me. It just drains me. I like people. And uh, um, so, so when I say this, I don't mean that I don't like people and I don't want to be around people, but it does, it does not give me energy. It does not build me up. It takes energy from me. So, uh, but so that, yeah, the, the, uh, it, t- it totally makes sense to me, this, uh, uh, the, the scenario that you're describing. But here's, let me, let me push this way. So, so in the culture that we live in, uh, we're so affected by romanticism. And um, we all, most people in our culture believe that our genuine, like what you're feeling inside of yourself, that's the genuine you. And so somebody comes up to you at some sort of gathering and wants to talk, and you don't really feel like talking, but you do it anyway. And so you're being not true to yourself, really. And all of us, that's the way we think. But let me just argue this way. There's nothing really, it is a cultural conditioned thing that our feelings are the real us. That, that, that's actually not the way, For first of all, that's not the way people all over the world see it. And it's not the way the Bible sees it. 
everybody has feelings, but those feelings aren't necessarily the true you. And getting to the spot where you say, I can be somebody besides who my feelings are is a very, very important step in human maturity. I don't feel like talking to somebody who walks up to me, but I do it because I love that person and I'm invested in them. And why is that not the genuine me? Why is my decision to talk to them not the genuine me? And my feelings are actually the secondary thing, which I can choose to ignore when I need to. And we all feel like, we, we all experience this. Anybody who has kids or close family members knows that there's lots and lots of times when you don't feel like talking, you don't feel like getting up at night to change that diaper. That's not hypocritical. It's a, the real you is the, the parent who chooses to get up and go there and change that diaper, even if you don't feel like it. And I would just argue that like being able to say no to your feelings because your feelings aren't the real you, I'm not saying that they're not valuable and that they shouldn't be grappled with and that you shouldn't take them into account when deciding to talk to somebody or not. There, there, are, times when, there are times when you might need to say to somebody, hey, look, I really, would, I, I really would love to talk to you right now, but I'm struggling with something, and can you give me a day? And maybe let's get some coffee later this week or something like that. That's an appropriate thing to say. But generally, it's it's not hypocritical to say no to your feelings. But this is, why do I need to bring this up? And I wasn't even planning on talking about this. Is because people typically, I keep on using the word typically, I apologize. It's probably not fair to people who don't feel like this. But frequently, I should say, people use their feelings as the foundation for decisions that they make because I just have to like, this is what I really this is the real me. And sometimes how we feel isn't the real us. That's the bad way to say it. Shouldn't be the fundamental factor in making decisions about what we do. So I would say, no, it's not hypocrisy to actually make a step to love somebody else, whether that's changing a diaper in the middle of the night or having a conversation with somebody who just wants to chat about the baseball game last night, having a conversation with somebody else. That's actually the real you. So no, it's not hypocritical at all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. I'm wondering now, in the context of our conversation, if Peter might have had his encounter with Paul and Paul's rebuke on his mind when he wrote this. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That's quite the to-do list, I think. So... How do I go about putting away all my hypocrisy? Putting away all my hypocrisy. Um, ideological authenticity. That's what we all want. We all want to be true to our own philosophical, or theological as Christians, theological commitments. And the way to do that, I think, is so let me, uh, this is, let me make a broad statement and then let me apply it just to those of us who are Christians. For everybody, immersing yourself in your own ideology is probably the that that's probably the best that that's probably the best way to do it is to live in your own ideology. Use your own ideology to rigorously and critically examine your own thoughts and behaviors constantly. I was talking to again my daughter Kate, who huge Beatles fan. Uh, I, I might have mentioned this in an earlier uh, podcast, but we were talking again. Um, we went to a Beatles festival this past weekend, and we were talking a lot about this. Um, you know, peace and love. So the, the Beatles were all about, uh, especially uh, uh, Ringo and John and George, were all about peace and love. They talked about peace and love a ton. 
But but if you look at their lives, uh, peace and love, and I know we've talked about this in here before, that that they didn't actually live up to that. You know, uh, uh, jump on uh, uh, Julian Lennon's uh, Wikipedia page. That was uh, John's uh, oldest son from his first wife, who actually calls his father on this and says, my dad talked about peace and love all the time, but he abandoned my mom. He ignored me. He pretended like I wasn't his son. He talked a good game, but his life did not live up to peace and love. George, George Harrison, too. You know, George immersed himself in Eastern religions. He found tranquility. He found peace. He found a way to love, uh, to, to be right with the situations around him and to love those around him. Oh, okay, well, yeah, that's a nice try. I guess you're trying to figure out a way to, to, to be peaceful and loving. But then you sleep with Ringo Starr's wife. How is that peaceful and loving? And so what, what they did was they had these, you know, um, good goals, peace and love, but they have no mechanism to match up to those things because they can't get out of their own selfish way. They can't get out of their own selfish way. So let me speak to Christians now. Like, so so we believe that we are all sinful and that because what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of his own son, he has made a way, A, to forgive those sins so that, so that he no longer sees them, he sees us as perfect. And B, empowers us to actually become more authentic, loving, righteous people all the time. And I would just say, immerse for Christians, immerse yourself in that story. The problem is that we immerse ourselves in, in alternate stories. So I, I can talk about peace and love, but if I immerse myself in the story of the sexual revolution, I can talk about Christian peace and love all I want, but if I'm like filling my mind up, on uh, things that reflect that story, movies, uh, novels, uh, music, and I'm I'm not arguing for some sort of fundamentalist uh, avoidance of everything that doesn't smell just exactly like Orthodox Christianity. That's not true. I am arguing, though, for a very, very rigorous um, criticism of these things. I can start to think of, of love as not what the Bible says about love, not the self-sacrifice of God himself for us, which empowers us to self-sacrifice for each other. But I can start to think about love in terms of sexual pleasure. And if I'm filling myself up on that story instead of the real story, that's going to be a tendency. And so to continually fill ourselves up on the story of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, it's a fancy way, I guess, of saying like regular spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, praying, being in Christian community, receiving gratefully and with faith the Christian sacraments, that's really the one true way towards growing in authenticity. Here's my last question. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, which centers or focuses on Holy Communion, he says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I think we're all familiar with self-examination of some kind. It's something, it's a practice that all of us who intend to go go to Holy Communion should probably work our way through before we go. And I can say to myself, well, have I been, have I been lazy this week? Uh, How have I used my mouth this week? And I can think about those things and examine myself and come to some conclusion. But hypocrisy, if you sit down and ask yourself, where have I been hypocritical? I think that's a moving target. I think that's much harder to pin down. What do you think? 
Yeah, so I think you're spot on. Think about the things that we've struggled in this week, and then think about the ways that we tried to cover those up. Think about the conversations I had with somebody where they said something that I disagreed with, and I knew that they were right, but I doubled down and argued against them. Think about the times when I snapped at the kids, and in my own mind even, uh, I blamed it on them. That, that you know they had it coming because of the way they behave or whatever. So there's so the the thing about hypocrisy, it's it's like uh, it's like the shell around the sin. <laughs> so there's this sin, you know, I lose my temper with the kids. That's a sin. But then the hypocrisy is the shell which I used to defend myself from having to grapple with that, or I argued to the kids, or I pretended like I was something. That I, I pretended later on that I was the kind of person who doesn't yell at my kids. That's also a sin too. So with hypocrisy, it's not like a separate sin. It's always like this mask on all of our other sins. And so as we grapple with each one of the sins that we all struggle with, and um, you know, talking to Christians now, but um, let me make two comments. First of all, talking to Christians, when we grapple with the sins that we all grapple with, take some time with each one of those to think about what are the ways that I hid this sin from myself or from others. That is a symptom of hypocrisy, and grapple with that as well. And now for the other part about um, examining ourselves. This is, this is for, for all human beings, this is a quality of maturity, which is horribly lacking in all humans today, Christians and non-Christians alike. Self-examination, so important to being a, a, a real, living, honest-to-goodness human being. There's two ways you can do this. You can examine yourself for the purposes of self-defense, or you can examine yourself for the purposes of self-criticism. Self-defense is more fun because then you get to pretend that you're right and other people are wrong. Self-criticism is harder. It's more morbid, right? Because then you're like looking at yourself, asking yourself the question, where am I wrong here and what needs to be changed? The death knell of any human being socially, psychologically, emotionally, mentally is when they stop being self-critical and start being self-defensive in their in their self-examination. The death knell of any Christian church, and this scares me. It scares me for my church. The death knell of any Christian is when it becomes a Christian church is when it becomes defensive. When the job of the Christian church is to prove that all the other people out there are wrong and that my church is right. And stops being, how is my church wrong? What do we need to fix? What do we need to change? It's at that point, so Luther says, the very first of the 95 Theses is that when Jesus says repent, he means all of human life to be one of repentance. That's no fun because it, it rightly, I believe, pictures the human life as one of error and wrongness. But being self-critical, being repentant, like wanting to change, asking God for the sake of Jesus to help us to become better, different people, to grow is actually the number one step to being a healthy, growing human being and Christian church. That's our conversation today on hypocrisy. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. We are encouraged by the positive feedback that we've received, so I'd like to know what you think. When you select an episode, you'll find my name on the page. Click the name, let us know how we're doing. I'm Chuck Rathard. Thank you for listening.